Welcome to this edition um, of the Car Seat. Uh, it's a great pleasure to welcome Charles Borden here, uh, who is a visiting fellow at Car, but also works in private practice, specialising in the standards uh, in public life, but also teaches uh, courses in government ethics. Charles, uh, welcome to the Car Seat. Um, many people say that regulation of public life, uh, standards of public life, have witnessed a process of codification, increasing sort of politicised. Is that a global trend? Uh, well, thank you, Martin. It's a pleasure to be here. And, and to answer your question, uh, yeah, yes, I think it is actually a, uh, a global trend, or at least maybe we're at the beginning of a global trend. I think, you know, the regulation of government ethics um, and, you know, standards of, of conduct in public life have been uh, something that's been, been you know, quite... Uh, you know, um, well developed in the United States for quite some time. You had a you know a significant explosion in ethics regulation, uh, starting really in the 1960s. Um, you had a sort of a tremendous amount of attention paid to uh, ethical issues like the revolving door, lobbying, you know, gifts to public officials and the like, um, going on 50 years now. Um, and uh, you know that's something that that we I see in my practice every day. I think what we're beginning to see right now, though, is a similar process, a similar sort of codification happening um, around the world. Essentially, as as uh, like like many other things, as, as you know, U.S. law, U.S. traditions are seem to be being picked up by uh, you know other countries. And in particular, I think we've seen some very you know some of the of the practices of K Street in Washington are starting to replicate themselves in Brussels and in London and elsewhere. And that's led to sort of an increased uh, attention, I think, both by the media and by regulators on these issues, and increased regulation. And we've seen some fairly significant regulatory develops developments in. Um, in uh, in a number of European uh, capitals and, and in, at the, the European Commission over the last uh, you know twelve to eighteen months. And what would you say are the drivers for this development? Is it just scandals? Is it something else? Uh, the development of an industry of uh, standard watches? I think it's a couple of things. I think. Um, one is you know, the scandal reform dynamic. I think is always present. I think you know the thing about government ethics and standards of of, of conduct in public life is that other uh, things that the media likes to write about. And so these are the kinds of things that when you have some sort of ethics scandal, where you have, whether it's you know, the Jobs for Generals uh, scandal in the UK or the Warity Affair, some of the other things we've seen in, in, in the UK over the last two years, or you know the various sort of scandals in the US in the early part of, of this uh, century, Abramoff and the like. That's always going to be something the media is going to write about, and there's always going to be you know, political pressure for, for reform, for some sort of, of, of hard law regulation to address the. And so, yes, I think that's part of it. I think you've, you've seen more um, scandals on, in this area, and that's led to some of, the, of this, this, this uh, codification or additional regulation in the space. Um, I do think that the, the rise of uh, groups, ethics watchdogs, and the like, who are focused on these issues, help drive it, to help push this issue, uh, in, you know, on the, to the top of the media consciousness. You've got groups like uh, Transparency International and others who, who are right now paying a lot of attention to these issues and have definitely been, been raising them. I'd also say, uh, you know, the same sort of process we've seen in other areas where the OECD is playing a very important role, and you know, they were sort of a driver of, of anti-corruption legislation, um, you know, 20 years ago now. Uh, about 10 years ago, they began really focusing on this space and suggesting, you know, you know putting up principles for their, their members to adopt um, in terms of regulation in this area. We've actually just seen in Ireland, you know, uh, basically new legislation more or less mirroring the OECD principles. So I think, you know, again, these sorts of institutions also have helped drive the process. 
you work in different jurisdictions. I mean, are there also sort of traditional national differences that sort of come out when one sort of navigates this field? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, one of the things that I see in my practice as an uh, American lawyer is, you know, we have uh, a federal system of government and, you know, many things relating to government ethics are regulated, you know, very much at the, at the, the local level. And so you get... Um, you know, very individualized um, regimes uh, at every level of government in the U.S. And I think, um, in uh, you, know, you know, certainly outside, if you're crossing borders, I think the nature of, the, of you know, differences in industries like government relations and public affairs, you know, different types of, of governmental structures, a parliamentary structure versus a non-parliamentary structure, all of that change leads to differences in terms of of um, how ethics are regulated and, and what sort of the expectations are. I'd say another thing that probably makes a big difference, honestly, is the nature of government contracting and, and essentially the franchise. You know, in the U.S., if you look at a lot of the scandals that have sort of driven ethics regulation, they come out of the defense industry. And the defense industry in the United States, obviously, is significantly bigger uh, than it is in, in pretty much anywhere else in the world. And so I think, obviously, that kind of, of, of difference also makes a, makes a that has an impact in terms of the regulation in the space. And in terms of sort of the key topics um, that currently define the field standards in public life, what are sort of the key issues there? Well, I think there are a couple of you know, ones that I would sort of put at the top of the list. I mean, I think one is this issue over um, sort of the changing nature of the public sector workforce. I mean, one of the big issues you've seen that you know, in the last uh, 15 years in the United States is the rise of different categories of, of public employees, um, you know, not just full-time employees, but folks who are, who are part-time employees or folks who are not employees at all, but rather, you know, uh, government contractors performing what have previously been, you know, basic um, government functions. Um, and, you know, figuring out how an, an ethics architecture needs to adapt to the, sort of that changing workforce, I think is a very big issue. Um, it is in the United States, and I think it's going to be increasingly a, a big one elsewhere as people start thinking about standards in public life. I think of one that's getting a lot of attention right now um, in Europe, you've seen it in Germany, you've seen it in Switzerland, you've seen it in the UK, is what's usually called the revolving door, but it's the idea of regulators you know, leaving the, um, the public sector and then promptly going to work for, you know, a company or a trade association um, that they used to regulate. Um, and uh, that's, you know, that has been a big issue in the United States for a long time. I mean, you know, there was a, a many, you know, jokes back in the, in the, the, over the years about, you know, Boeing and Raytheon and various other defense contractors having sort of people coming in and out of government constantly. And it was sort of part, actually a very big revolving door case um, in the U.S. Uh, is sort of all about Boeing employees going to work for the Reagan administration. Um, but, um, you know, I think that's now there's a lot of media attention to that, that phenomenon in, in Europe, and I think that's going to be an issue that folks are, are looking at. I'd say another issue, and it sort of relates to, to, to this revolving door thing, is the issue, and it's, it's been something that's, I think, more common in, in, um, in Europe for a long time, but again, something that people may be paying attention to now, uh, is sort of outside activities of public servants. When you've got, you know, uh, folks who are, you know, either in a part-time um, uh, public sector position or, um, you know, they've, they've got, uh, you know, they're allowed to keep sort of various outside activities, outside directorships, things like that. I think there's a greater attention paid to those sorts of activities and to the, what extent that they create sort of conflicts of interest. I think that's, that's something that people, people, you know, if you want to sort of take a step back, I think the core of, of a lot of ethics regulation can be sort of looked at as a two masters problem. And the idea that, um, you know, there's a concern that people who are supposedly working for the public sector may also have 
divided loyalties and, and, and uh, may, may be responsive to some sort of private interest. Um, and I think all of the issues I just sort of identified are ones that kind of go to the core of that particular tension. And so um, I think those are the, the issues that people are really grappling with right now. And enforcement is often said to be a key problem. We can always have beautiful standards, but mm -hmm. then ultimately we can't do anything about it or people yeah. have to fall on their sword even regardless of whether a regulator speaks. Um, is that a... I, I think enforcement is, is, is an issue. Um, it, this is a difficult area to enforce because you're usually, you know, it's one thing to try to, to do enforcement in sort of pure corruption cases where you've got a quid pro quo. It's another thing to sort of, you know, do enforcement, you know, and, and actually have criminal enforcement and things like lobbying or revolving doors or the like. It's, a, it's much, much, you know, sort of a much harder thing to do. And so, I think it is an area where typically sort of the civil enforcement is is um, is somewhat underdeveloped. Um, I think what you what, where really you, you tend to see sanction or when you see you know in this space is, is sort of more of a soft law type phenomenon. And it, it is it kind of goes back to what I was talking about earlier. It's you know the media likes to write about these stories. They're interesting stories. They have their front page news. The Washington uh, sorry the New York Times currently has you know two you know reporters who cover money and politics, and that's that's their beat. Um, and uh, you know it's. Um, as a result, uh, you do get uh, a, a um, uh, you know a lot of you know, public approbation about this about these sorts of, of matters, and uh, you know the media the media sanction the reputational risk really I think probably is where you see a lot of the bite. And finally, um, what do you think are the consequences of all this codification, politics of government ethics? I mean, yeah. people do write about the consequences for career selection, for those wanting, wanting to offer into public life and so on. I think there are probably two big consequences. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, honestly, neither one may be, may be particularly good. I think one is that there is a, a real cost in terms of uh, getting people to serve in government uh, as a result of these rules. There's a cost in terms of uh, just the, the essentially the hard law part of it, which is that frequently, as in the US, if people are looking to serve in government, uh, complying with various financial disclosure or conflict of interest rules can impose such a a cost to them um, in terms of just you know their net worth or their their you know their you know uh, ability to sort of um, uh, you know to, to to sort of maintain the profession that they've been in for a long time that um, they just don't serve and so you don't get the kind of expertise in the government that you you might want a good area where this is happening for example would be you know say cybersecurity issues where you know obviously cybersecurity is a very important issue you need people who have a background in this many of these people work. In the tech industry, a lot of their their net worth is often tied up in things like options and restricted stock and the like. Where going to go work for the federal government is going to cost them to forfeit a huge chunk of their net worth. It's there, you know some people, many people are very public minded and they'll they'll do it, but it's certainly going to have have a cost. And I think just more broadly, people also there's a, a you know when it comes to sort of ethics regulation in this whole process, there are people who just opt out just because they don't want to go through the process. They, it's not that they can't. You know, comply with the financial disclosure, the 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 conflict of interest rules, but just the process itself is so um, challenging and, and demoralizing that they don't do it, and that's that's a cost. Um, I think the other cost, you know, issue that that um, or other consequence of, of of sort of increased attention and regulation in the space um, is this essentially legitimacy. I mean, a lot of you know ethics regulation or regulation of of um, uh, you know, public life is, is sort of aimed at improving trust in government and sort of 
the most you know uh, uh, basics of terms. The idea that people fundamentally feel their government is again it's ethical and serving the public interest. The people who are working there are not serving a private interest. And so the whole point of this regulation, at some level, is to improve legitimacy. But I think it can actually sometimes have you know a um, you know it can inadvertently have the, the opposite effect, and that you know, you can you know if you if you basically have a lot of hard law ethics regulation, uh, even if it's non-criminal, even if it's basically um, you know uh, sort of you know, caught, you know complying with basic sort of of, of code provisions. Um, when someone screws it up, when they basically fail to file, make a filing, or they fail to, to um, uh, they have some sort of technical violation, it seems an ethical violation, it suggests that they are unethical. And it can lead to sort of a broader sense that, you know, all these folks are really unethical. They're morally challenged. If, you know, there's a, there's a, a quote that um, uh, a former colleague of mine once said, which is that government ethics in the United States is, is, isn't really the ethics you learn in church. It's more like math. Um, and I think that's, that, that sort of, of, of issue is an important one, which is that sometimes when you get sort of a very high level of regulation in the government ethics space, um, you get people who are essentially making math errors, but they're being seen as have, having moral failings. And when that happens, you know, I think that can also have a very um, uh, negative effect on, on legitimacy. Charles, thank you very, very much. Thank you, Martin. It's a pleasure to be here.